0: something like that. And yet there's a lot of things out there that are a lot more subtle that aren't quite as obvious that we are drawn to. And it's easy for us to follow things that maybe don't lead us there. And yet they lead us away from God. So I meant to do this last evening and I I failed to do it, but I'd like to see your hands. How many of you are here that are not in this local area. I'm saying like not southeastern, not local. Raise your hand. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming. It's very good to have all of you here. I'm blessed with the representation. I met people from Florida, South Carolina, Georgia, uh, Pennsylvania, Maryland. So thank you for coming. I remember it doesn't seem like that many years ago when I was sitting where you are. I was coming to youth conference, and I know you as young people now, you have a, a relationship with your peers that's different than the relationship I had with my peers. You probably keep up over your with your technology a lot more than I did when I was your age. And I have to be honest, I do have some concerns about that. I think there's some unhealthy things that go along with that, and yet it's a blessing to see you connecting, making an effort to actually travel and connect in a way like this, in a a setting like this. So thank you for coming. Lord bless you for coming. And come back tonight. The message tonight is a very important message, and, and I hope you can be here for it. So this weekend we're talking about confessions of a believer, and I assume that many of you were there last night. I know most of you were. But the confession that we're making this weekend is not the confession that says, I did wrong. I'm sorry. It's not an acknowledgement of wrongdoing, but rather it is to declare openly by way of speaking out freely. Such confession being the effect of deep conviction of facts. So it's not a casual statement that identifies you with a group of people. It's a statement that originates in your heart of hearts and defines who you are. It's a statement that your values and your vision, and your passions arise from. And so last evening, the confession that we made was, I am a Christian. I am a Christian. And a Christian is not so much about what you do, it's about who you are. Who you are in Christ. And I showed you last evening that we were sinners, separated from God, with no way in and of ourselves to be reconciled to a holy God. But then we saw those beautiful verses where it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and he's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us, Through Christ Jesus, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so, being a Christian is not about the good works that you do, rather, it's about the good work that God has done and is doing in you. And so, the confession this afternoon that we're making is I am a disciple. I am a disciple and being a disciple is not so much about who you are, it's about who you are following. Who you are following and young person, what is it today that you are following? Are you following the gods of this nation? Are you following the fads and fashions of this world? Are you following your own fleshly desires? Or are you following the Lord Jesus Christ? Last evening, I gave you a very graphic illustration of someone coming in here with a gun and asking you, Are you a Christian? Jesus had a disciple that faced a real life scenario sort of like that. It was Peter. And you remember the story. Jesus was on trial before Pilate. The crowds were chanting, crucify him, crucify him. They were beating him. They hated him. They wanted to see him die. And Peter's just kind of hanging out there. You know, he doesn't want to get too close, but yet he wants to kind of be in on the action and and doesn't really want to desert his Lord. And so he's kind of just hanging out there with the crowds. And suddenly, someone stuck that gun in his face and said, thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. Now this was a disciple of Jesus. This was a man who walked with Jesus. He learned from Jesus. And now here he is with that gun in his face. You're one of them, aren't you? And Peter said, I know not what thou sayest. And they put the gun down. And a little later, someone else stuck that gun in his face and said, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And Peter again denied it and said, I do not know the man. And then a third person came and stuck that gun in his face and said, Surely thou art one of them, for thy speech betrayeth thee. And Peter began to curse and to swear and said, I know not the man. And we're just going to leave Peter there for today. We'll pick him back up this evening. Jesus said, Whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men, that's the confession that we're talking about, whosoever shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. As a young person, when that gun is stuck in your face, can you say with confidence, I am a disciple Of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this opportunity to be with these young people, to look into your Word. God, thank you for sending Jesus to this earth. Thank you for his life. Thank you that he left an example that we can follow in his steps and he has called each of us, extended an invitation, come follow me. And I pray that this message this morning would be a challenge to each of us, young or old, to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, and to follow Jesus. May your will be done in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. So the term disciple simply means a learner. And it is my understanding that in this this custom, this Jewish custom, there were rabbis or teachers who had disciples. And these disciples would sit around the feet of this rabbi and they would learn from this teacher. This rabbi would teach his disciples. And when Jesus began his ministry, one of the first things he did was invited people to follow him, to be his disciple. And I wanna emphasize that word, invite. He invited people to be his disciple. And if you typically think of following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus as a command that you must follow, then I want to change your mindset this afternoon. Jesus invited people, follow me. And that, that's what the invitation was, just a simple invitation, two words, follow me. Come, follow me. He never forced someone to follow him, but he extended the invitation to follow me. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter four. This afternoon, we're going to be looking at the call to discipleship, and whether or not you are going to be a disciple of Jesus is up to you. Jesus didn't force anyone to follow him. You don't have to be a disciple of Jesus, but he invites you to be a disciple of Jesus. He extends the invitation to each of you, follow me. You can accept his invitation, or you can reject it. But understand, if you choose to accept the invitation to follow Jesus, you will have to lay down your life. But if you choose to reject it, it will cost you your life. And so it's my desire for this message that you would accept the invitation and embrace the call to forsake all. And follow Jesus. So we're going to begin by looking at various accounts where Jesus extended this invitation to people. And what I want you to see in each of these accounts is the clear call of Jesus, follow me, and the radical response of the disciples who forsook all and followed him. So, Matthew 4, we're going to start with verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishers. And Jesus saith unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So there we have the clear call of Jesus, follow me. Verse 20, and they, Peter and Andrew, straightway left their nets and followed him. That's the radical response. They left their nets And they followed Jesus. Now verse 21. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And it doesn't say what he said, but I can imagine it was, follow me. Verse 22. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Isn't that beautiful? A radical response of these disciples, of these men, they got this call, follow me. And they left everything. They left their job. They left their father. And they followed Jesus. Now let's go on. Matthew 9. We have where Jesus calls Matthew. Matthew chapter 9. And this is verse 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 says this And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and he, sa- and he saith unto him, Follow me. And Matthew arose and followed him. Again, the same call, the same response. Now, Mark 2. Mark 2, we read of Jesus calling Levi. And here's what it says. This is Mark 2, verse 14. And as Jesus passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. The same call, the same response. Follow me. And Levi left all and followed Jesus. And if you follow the story of these men, God took this rough group of characters, this, these people that were just going about their everyday lives, doing the things that, that people did. They were, they were doing their jobs. They were, they were living their life. God took, or, or Jesus took those people. And because they followed Jesus, God was able to turn the world upside down with those men. If you follow their story, to the end. And how could God do this? Because they forsook all and followed Jesus. Now imagine while Jesus was here on this earth getting the invitation to follow him, to follow in his steps, to observe God in the flesh here on this earth, to learn his teachings, to see his miracles. This was the Messiah that people had been waiting for for hundreds of years, and he was now on the earth. Imagine getting an invitation, follow me. Why would anyone refuse an invitation like this? And yet, there was people who did. And I want to look at two accounts of refusing the invitation to follow me. One is a, real account it's in Matthew 19 you can turn there the other is a parable Jesus told but in Matthew 19 scripture records the account of a very fine young man this was a young man who if if he was in our circles today we would probably really look up to him he he did good things he kept the commandments he was a successful young man the bible calls him a rich young ruler so he was a leader he was wealthy he was successful and here's what it says. This is the account. This is Matthew 19, verse 16. And behold, one came unto him and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now, we could kind of break that verse down. We'd see some real problems with it right up front. Number one, he said, What good thing shall I do? So he wants to earn his way into favor with God that I may have eternal life. This is all about himself. Okay, but we're not going to focus on that this afternoon. Again, by all indications, this was a good man. And if you read the next several verses, Jesus tells him, keep the commandment. Or or, what are the commandments? Keep the commandments. And and this young man said, all these things have I done from my youth up. So, again, he was a good man. He had had done good things. And yet Jesus saw past this veneer of righteousness and called him to something greater than simply keeping a bunch of rules. Here's what Jesus said. Verse 21. And Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. The same invitation that Jesus extended to Matthew and to Levi and to Peter and to John and the rest of the disciples. The same invitation. Come, follow me. But the next verse says, When this young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possession." When we read this story today, we shake our heads and say, What a shame. He could have been a disciple of Jesus. He got the same invitation that the rest of the disciples got. Simply leave this stuff, this this temporal earthly things, leave that and follow me. The same invitation. He could have been a disciple of Jesus. And yet this man counted the cost, he looked at what he was going to lose. And he evaluated what it appeared as if he was going to gain. And he went away sorrowful. And that is the last we read of him. That's it. He could have been a disciple of Jesus. God could have used him to turn the world upside down. But that's all we read of him. And I guess he just went home and counted his money and played with his toys and continued on his his merry way doing his thing. because the cost was too great for him. It reminds me of a little story that I heard one time, a fairy tale type of story. There was this beggar lady in her rags sitting alongside the road begging. She had this little tin cup and it had been an extra good day. She had some coins in that cup that she had got from begging that day. And she was sitting along the road begging and off in the distance she saw a white horse coming down the road. And on that white horse, rode a prince and as that prince got closer he slowed his horse down and he stopped beside that lady and he got off his horse and he came down to the lady and he said ma'am he said I know that you're a beggar and I know that I'm a prince and this may surprise you but I love you and I would like for you to come home with me and be my wife All I ask is that you give me everything you have. And that beggar lady, she thought a little bit, and she looked down at her torn garments. She basically had nothing, but then she looked down at her cup with a few coins in it that she had earned that day. And finally she said, can I keep these? Isn't that the way we are so often? We have such a beautiful invitation to follow Jesus. But can I keep these? Can I keep these temporal things? These things that have value to me now but are will will not last in eternity. Can I keep these things? Can I hold on to these things? And it's so foolish. After the disciples saw the interaction between Jesus and the rich young ruler, Peter said this, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. And that was right, they had. We saw that when Jesus called them. They had left all and followed Jesus. And Jesus told Peter this, and I want you to listen because this is for each of us today. If we accept the call to follow Jesus. Jesus told Peter this, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold, now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. But many that are first shall be last." And the last first. And that promise is for each of us today. If any man will come after me, if he forsakes all that he has and follows me, he'll receive an hundredfold in this life and in eternity. If you lay down these temporal things, these earthly things, you'll receive an hundredfold. Now turn in your Bibles to Luke 14. In Luke 14 we have a parable that Jesus gave about an invitation that went out. It was a beautiful invitation, and yet people refused it. That's what we're talking about this afternoon. Luke 14, we're going to start reading at verse 16. Then said he unto him, This is Luke 14, verse 16. 16 then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servants at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. These people, they got this beautiful invitation to come to this great supper. But because of these earthly things that they couldn't let go of, they refused the invitation. So let's read on, verse 21. So that servant came and showed his lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind." And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. <clears throat> and the Lord said unto, his, unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you, that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. And so here we have this parable of the wedding banquet. It was a great supper. All were invited from the greatest to the least, everyone received an invitation, and it was a glorious opportunity to be in the presence of royalty. You would think that no one would turn down an invitation like this, but again, one after another, the ones that had their life together, the ones that had these earthly pursuits, said, no, I can't come. I bought some land, I bought a yoke of oxen, I've married a wife, I can't come. And just like the rich young ruler, these people traded an opportunity to be in the presence of Jesus for fluff and stuff, stuff that has no eternal value. And so what did the master of the house do he extended the invitation to those to whom the cost would not be so great the poor the blind and the lame and these people had nothing to lose the cost for them was not that great and they came and accepted the invitation do you see the difference between between the response of the disciples And the response of the rich young ruler were these first three people in the parable. The disciples forsook all and followed Jesus. These other people, the rich young ruler and the people in this parable, counted the cost and said, it's too great. I'd rather live my life my way. I'd rather have my stuff. I'd rather keep pursuing these earthly things that I enjoy. And they turned down the invitation to follow Jesus. Jesus then said to the multitudes, this is verse 26, if you're still there, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. <clears throat> For whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So likewise, whosoever be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. And so, young people, what about you? Jesus extends the same invitation to each of us today. Again, he extends the invitation. He doesn't command. He doesn't drag you behind him. He invites you, come, follow me. And each of us must count the cost. Am I willing to forsake all and follow Jesus? Or am I going to hold on to these earthly things? Am I going to continue to pursue the things of this world? Whatever it is, maybe it's your family, maybe it's your friends, maybe it's your job, maybe it's your hobbies, maybe it's your uh, your education, whatever it is, am I willing to lay it down? Put that in the hands of Jesus and follow him. Now, I want to make this realistic for you today. You live in a time and a place of prosperity and pleasure. You live in a world that says, if you want it, you can have it. You deserve it. Live it up. But Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And so what does it look like? to be a disciple of Jesus in America in 2023. And I don't feel like I'm going to answer that question fully this afternoon, but I just I I want you to consider a very important thing in this. And this is a question that I've grappled with ever since I was your age. What does this look like for me in my time and place? How much do I have to, have to deny myself before I've denied myself enough? What does it mean to take up my cross? What does it look like to follow Jesus in real life? You know, Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. What does that mean for me? Jesus told the rich young ruler, sell all. What does that mean for me? And I'm just going to tell you that for each of you it's going to look a little different. And I could give you a large list of do's and don'ts for being a disciple of Jesus. You know, we could talk about how much time you spend reading your Bible. We could talk about, you know, how much food a disciple should eat. We could talk about how much volleyball a disciple should play. We should talk about how much money a disciple is allowed to make or to keep. We could talk about what kind of clothes a disciple should wear or what kind of music a disciple should listen to or what kind of car a disciple should drive. And we'd kind of be missing the point. Now, those things are good to talk about. And, and, and they're very important things. And I'm not saying we should never talk about them. But the message that I want you to hear from me this afternoon is that a disciple of Jesus is not following a system or a program or a culture. A disciple of Jesus is following a person. Jesus said, come. Unto me. Yoke yourself with me. Learn of me. Follow me. That's what Jesus said. He wasn't inviting people to become a part of a system or a culture, He was inviting them to follow Him. Jesus was inviting people to leave where they were and come to where He was. He called fishermen. He called tax collectors and many other people, and they forsook all and followed him. They left where they were and came to where he was. And so the question is, where are you this evening? And for those of you who were at the service last evening, we talked about that. I showed you where you were, dead in sin, separated from God. No way to be reconciled to God. Without hope and without God, in this world. And Jesus calls us from that place and says, come, follow me. Come, follow me. And so you are not a disciple of Jesus because you kept a list of rules. You are a disciple of Jesus because you are following Jesus. You are following Jesus, not because you kept a list of rules. You have yoked yourself with him. He is Lord of your life. Your identity is with Jesus Christ. You value what he values. You're passionate about the things that he's passionate about. You are walking as he walked. And so am I saying that the rules don't matter by no means? That's not what I'm saying at all. But rather, I'm saying that that's not what makes you a disciple. It's when you are following Jesus following in his steps. I would encourage you sometime to read the book In His Steps. How many of you have read that book? Good. A few of you. It's a story about a congregation that a group of people made a commitment. It's a fictitious story. But they made a decision that, or a commitment, that every decision they would make, before they would make that decision, they would ask the question, what would Jesus do? That's where the phrase came from, but it was written many years ago. What would Jesus do? And, you know, as they went through their life, some of their conclusions aren't the, you know, what, what Jesus would do in this situation isn't the same thing that I think Jesus would probably do. And yet, it is a challenge to think about living that way. What would Jesus do in this situation? What would Jesus do if he were here in my shoes today? And what you see as you read through this fictitious book is that in a matter of weeks or maybe even days, the whole community was turned upside down because a group of people said, we're going to follow after Jesus. We're going to walk as he walked. As a disciple of Jesus, every decision you make, the thought in the forefront of your mind should be, will this bring glory to my master? And so when you're talking about, should I buy this car? Will this bring glory to my master? Should I visit this restaurant? Will this bring glory to my master? Should I listen to this music? Will this bring glory to my master? Should I take this job? Will this bring glory to my master? Should I date this girl? Will this bring glory to my master? Should I drive over the speed limit? Is that what Jesus would do? Maybe the church is asking me to do something that I don't agree with. How should I respond? Well, how would Jesus respond? Remember, you're following him. And the list could go on and on. And. That is a picture of Jesus being Lord of your life. You're following him. You're not bound by these rules. He is guiding you. He is directing you. He is Lord of your life. He is king on the throne of your life. And so every decision you make, big or small, what would Jesus do? And that's not just a slang phrase. Or or maybe the better question, what would Jesus have me to do? What would glorify my Lord in this situation? Now, when you're a disciple of Jesus, do you remain a disciple of Jesus when you're on vacation? Or when you're hanging out with the cool group? <clears throat> or when you're all alone, just you and your smartphone? Or when you stop for a night at a motel and it's just you and a television set? Do you remain a disciple of Jesus then? Yes, you do. What's going to bring glory to my Master? What would Jesus have me to do in this situation that I'm in right now? Because if you are a disciple of Jesus, if you are following Jesus, that is not a path that you walk sometimes and sometimes you don't. If you're following Jesus, you are on a path your whole life. When you're away from home, it seems like there's this mindset that for some reason, when I'm away from home, for some reason, certain scenarios in life, Jesus does not have to be Lord of my life now. I can do what I want. I can watch what I want. I can listen to what I want. I can, I can tell different jokes when I'm around different people in these certain scenarios, but that's not what a disciple does. A disciple is following Jesus. Jesus is Lord of his life. Every day, every hour, every minute, every step. You've probably heard of the man by the name of Gandhi. He was from India. I don't know a lot about him. But Gandhi is quoted as saying, someone asked him about his opinion of Christianity. And he said this. He said, I like your Christ. He had I'm assuming he was familiar with the Word of God, with the Gospels, with the life of Jesus. And he said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. They are so unlike your Christ. But that's not a disciple. Something's wrong with that picture. What does the world say when they look at your life? Remember last evening we talked about the people at Antioch? They looked at the Christians, they looked at the believers, they looked at the followers of Jesus and said, let's call these people Christians, because they saw Christ. They were walking like Christ, they looked like Christ, and they said, these are Christians. And as a Christian, as a disciple, we look like Jesus, we're following Jesus. Now I want to talk a little bit about utilitarianism. Now, I know that's a big word, and most of you don't know what it means. It was a word that I was unfamiliar with until about a month ago. The definition of utilitarianism is this. It's a theory that the greatest good for the greatest number should be the main consideration in making a choice of actions. Or the doctrine that actions are right if they are useful or for the benefit of of a majority, and so basically if it works for me or if it works for us, it's good, okay? Now, that's not necessarily always bad. Sometimes good things do work for us and benefit us, but it can be bad, okay? An example I thought about, um, so sometimes you've heard of water witching, and oftentimes people that like to, to, to water witch, they say, well, it works, right? And so therefore it's good. Well, no, not necessarily. Just because something works, just because something benefits you, doesn't mean it's good, okay? So, to make this, to help you understand this, in my, in my desk, I have a filing cabinet, and one of those files in there is called utilities. The root word of utilitarianism is utility. And under that file, or in that file, I, I have bills from the electric company and the propane company, and it could be, you know, your, your internet provider or whatever. These, these businesses that provide you a service, they do you good. They offer something that makes your life better, it improves your life. I don't serve the, the, them, they serve me. And so they are a utility. They make my life better. Now how does this apply in the spiritual sense? If I were to ask you this afternoon, why are you a Christian? Why do you want to follow Jesus? I wonder what you would say. It would be interesting to hear your response to that question. I'm guessing that some of you, maybe many of you, would say something to the effect of, well I'm a Christian because I want to go to heaven, or I'm a Christian because I don't want to go to hell. Now this is certainly a logical and a legitimate reason for being a Christian. None of us here want to go to hell. All of us here want to go to heaven. Okay, we understand that. But I want us to think about this a little deeper. If the only reason that you are a Christian is because you want to go to heaven, who is in focus? Someone tell me. Self. Self. Or I am. I'm in focus. Okay, so if the only reason that you are a Christian is it's so you can avoid hell? Who's in focus? Same answer. Yeah, I am, right? I haven't got y'all to talk enough. I'm sorry. <laughs> and so if that's where you're at, Christianity for you is simply a utility. It's something to make your life better, something to improve your existence. And if this is your mindset... Every decision you make will be centered around this. Now, stay with me here, okay? This is important. I want you to get this. Every decision you make will be centered around this. And so you're going to need to buy a car, and and your parent, you want this nice, fancy red sports car, and and your parents say, I'm not sure you should get that. And you say, what do you say? Am I really going to go to hell if I buy this? Or maybe um, there's this singing group that you like, and, and your parents find out about this music, and they say, you really shouldn't be listening to this. Dad, if everybody listened to this music, went to hell, there wouldn't be many people in heaven. Okay, I've actually heard that before. Okay? Do you see, do you see the problem there? Do you see where the focus is? Or, or maybe um, you have you have a hobby and it's controlling your life. It's consuming you. It's taking way too much of your time. It's becoming an idol. And someone confronts you about it. What? You really think I'm going to go to hell for hunting deer, or whatever your hobby is? You really think I'm going to go to hell for this? Do you see the problem? If I wear these clothes, will I really go to hell for that? If I watch this video, am I really going to go to hell for that? When your church asks you to do something and you don't agree with it, I'm not going to go to hell if I do that. And suddenly you're asking questions such as, is this really a salvation issue? And God for you becomes nothing more than fire insurance. Nothing more than fire insurance. This is utilitarianism. And you will not be a victorious Christian with this mindset, young people. You will not be a victorious Christian with this mindset. And so you ask, well, what then is my motivation for being a Christian? Why should I deny myself? Why should I take up my cross? Why should I follow Christ? And the answer is found many places in Scripture, but I'll read you a few. Psalm 40, verse 2. He brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it, and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. That's what we talked about last night, right? We were over here, separated from God, no way to be reconciled to God, and yet he brought me out. Through the work of Christ on the cross, His death and resurrection, now there is a way that I can be brought out of that place and be right with God. I can be a part of the family of God. Is that not worth serving God for, young people? It is. Another verse, Colossians 1, verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. That's why we worship God. That's why we follow Jesus, young people. Listen to this testimony of Paul in Galatians 2. And as I read Paul's testimony here, think about this. Is Paul serving God just so he can avoid hell? Is that why Paul is serving God? Or is there some other reason? Galatians 2 verse 20. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me and the life with which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see the difference between that testimony and someone who is serving God so they don't have to burn in hell? It's a completely different testimony. So is it wrong to want to Go to heaven? Is it wrong to want to avoid hell? By no means. Okay, Scripture talks about the hope of glory. It talks about being saved from wrath. But the difference is, utilitarianism says, I don't want to go to hell. True Christianity says, Christ delivered me from hell. Utilitarianism says, God will do me good. True Christianity says, God in his mercy has sent his Son to be the propitiation for my sins. And therefore, as long as I live, I give myself to him for his glory. The one is serving God because of what I get out of it. The other is serving God because he is worthy to receive the glory that is due his name. A very subtle and yet a very significant difference. And suddenly every decision you make will be made with a different mindset. Instead of, will this thing that I want to do, or I want to buy, or whatever the case is, will this make me go to hell? You will be asking the question, will this thing bring glory to my master? And so this afternoon, the call for each of us is a full and complete surrender to Jesus Christ. And you may say, Does God really require that of us? No, he doesn't. He invites you to that. He invites you to leave where you're at and come to where he is. He invites you by the power of of the cross to rise above sin and live in victory over the flesh. He invites you to be his sons and his daughters. He invites you to yoke yourself with him and go with him on the path. And he promises you a hundredfold in this life an eternity in the life to come. All he asks is that you forsake all and follow him. And that's a beautiful invitation. I want to close with a story and a quote. <clears throat> Most of you are familiar with the account of George Mueller. George Mueller was a man of faith. He did much for the kingdom of God. He had an orphanage in England where he cared for more than 10,000 orphans in his lifetime. He established many schools that provided Christian education for many children. God honored this man's faith by answering his prayers in amazing ways. And one time someone asked George Mueller what his secret was to success. And here's what he said. He said, there was a day when I died utterly died, died to George Mueller, his opinions, preferences, taste, and will, died to the world, its approval or censure, died to the approval or blame, even of my brethren and friends, and since then I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. That's a disciple of Jesus, and God honored that man. Now, a quote by John Wesley, this is a prayer, and when I read this prayer, I just have to say, God help me to make that my prayer. John Wesley said this, I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me in any place of service. Rank me with any type of people. Put me to work, put me to suffering. Let me be useful for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low by you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and for your use. Let's pray. God, thank you for the invitation to be a disciple of Jesus. That's a beautiful invitation. And thank you that you don't ask us to bring our baggage with us to follow Jesus. You don't ask us to stay like we are, but you ask us to leave that place and come follow you. And God, I pray for each of these young people here this afternoon I know that many of them want to be your disciple. And God, I just pray that you will bless them for that desire. You will work in their hearts. Help them to go from this place with a renewed desire to follow in your steps. The steps of Jesus. To walk as he walked. To live as he lived. To care about the things that he cared about. And every decision they make. May they make it with the attitude. What would Jesus have me to do? What would bring glory to my master and I pray that we could live lives that bring honor and glory to you and God if there's anyone here this afternoon that is living their own way following the lust of their flesh following after this world looking for the approval of men looking for success in this life I pray that you will convict their heart and invite them again come follow me lay aside these temporal things and follow me and may they too be your disciple. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to take your hymns of the church and turn to number 570. Number 570. I want to sing this song this evening, this afternoon.